Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters and today we are doing an episode on revision tips. So this we are Iram and I are going to be talking you through our top tips. Well actually Iram mainly because <laughs> I don't have that many top tips for exam revision. So Iram is going to be talking us through her top tips for exam revision and it's very much the time of year when many of us are uh, have finished the content with the children or the children have finished their exam content and now it is revision time. And I've done a podcast recently on using exam papers to help with revision. And I thought that today we would have a more general tips for revision session. So Iram, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and do tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me on, Elena. It's lovely to see you again uh, and chat with you about this. And so, yeah, I thought I'd tell everybody a little bit just to give them a bit of a, uh, a background and some context, really. So I've been home educating um, for nearly 18 years now. So it's quite shocking <laughs> to, discover, to discover that the other day. Um, and I have uh, always home educated. So I've got three children. Um, the older two have uh, graduated home education some years ago. Uh, my eldest is in her final year at university this year. And my middle daughter, um, who is in her second year of A-levels, was home educated up to UCSE. My oldest, we went through to A-level. Um, and I have a 12-year-old who's still uh, home educated as well and has always been. So she's sort of just started um, with her GCSEs and IGCSEs. Um, so that's a bit about me. And we studied mainly for all our subjects, just ourselves with the textbook and online resources so we didn't outsource um, to tutors or online schools although of course there's nothing wrong with that option if that's what works for you as well and I kind of very much of the of the opinion that you have to find as there's a bit of trial and error involved as well and you have to find what works for you and um, experiment sometimes as well so we covered uh, both my older two did eight GCSEs um, each um, the sciences English language um geography environment environmental management and class classical civilizations maths obviously and uh yeah so we covered a broad range of subjects and just did it ourselves independently so my background so as well as being a home educator I'm a qualified teacher many many years ago um qualified and um I'm an online tutor as well so I teach English online so that's my background and so I thought we'd cover sort of a, a why issues relating to exam preparation and revision. So kind of the first part I thought we'd look at is sort of planning for exams. So in the initial sort of stages, um, how to go about planning in terms of your timetables and so on. And look um, advice in terms of how to get an overview of what needs covering. Um, then some practical strategies and advice in terms of maximizing your time and revising effectively. Um, I want to touch on um, decoding exam questions and understanding command words. Uh, and then some practical advice in terms of uh, exam technique and time management. And then finally, sort of some advice on preparing for the day itself and some sort of general advice around that. Um, so that's sort of a plan for what I hope to cover in this session with you. 
Um, and yeah, so should I just get started with that, or do you have any Absolutely. questions? Absolutely. No, that sounds that sounds excellent. And for those of you listening who may recognise Iram's voice, Iram did a podcast with us on uh, guiding us through the exam process. So this is how to choose your subjects, how to book your subjects, deciding on your different specifications and what exam board you're going to use. And that was one of our first ever episodes and still one of our most popular episodes. And also Iram has joined us for a Cambridge English language IGCSE specific episode, which was probably our most jam-packed content episode where you really talked us through absolutely everything you could ever want to know about the Cambridge English language IGCSE. So that was just in case any of our listeners were sitting there thinking, I know this woman's voice. Yes, (laughs) I recognize this voice. So, okay, Iram, that sounds perfect. So start us with your first, um, your first topic there, which I think was planning, was it planning for exams? Yeah, it's getting started really sort of in the initial stages of um, revision. Uh, I think the first thing to, to kind of mention really is um the tendency that we all have of sort of wanting to put off and uh, what we're, we're, we're kind of a bit apprehensive about obviously uh exams can be daunting um both for students and for parents and so there's you know procrastination thing is is one of one of your enemies here so you don't want to sort of put off um the sitting down and kind of working what you need to do and the time scale that you need to cover that in. So don't procrastinate is in essence what I'm here because, you know, um, it's not going to get any easier by delaying it or putting it off. And I think part of the process of building your confidence and exam readiness is actually getting, feeling like you're more in, co- in control of the situation. And, and for me, always with um, my kids, the first part of that is devising a revision schedule, a timetable, mm-hmm. um, understanding how much you need to cover, what you need to cover over what time scale, building in uh, plenty of time for past paper practice in the, in the last weeks running up to the exam. And that's a really, really valuable part of your exam and revision strategy. Um, certainly was for us. And I'd strongly recommend that because it's uh, I'll be talking a bit more about past papers later on, but that's a hugely valuable um, experience and an opportunity to really understand, get down to the you know the nuts and bolts of what's required in the exam. So the tip here is to devise a plan, um, a revision schedule, a timetable, call it what you will, uh, with a degree of flexibility, but with a with a kind of uh, time frame for what you need to cover over what time scale, breaking down. The syllabus into manageable chunks and 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 part of this also is knowing yourself knowing what is realistic for you and what you can cover in how much time and adjusting your time scales and your and your revision schedule accordingly and linked to that um, is being aware of and and sort of making sure that you're looking at revision in terms of short bursts chunks of time ideally i mean but say you don't want um, to be studying or revising something for longer than about 20 minutes at a time, just because after that point, your concentration starts to wane and you'll find you're not kind of engaging with the material productively after that point. So short bursts, little and often is the key here. Um, And not just thinking about in terms of the quantity, quality, how efficiently and effectively you're covering the material. So would the theory there be that you would do 20 minutes of revision and then maybe like have a five minute break and then do another 20 minutes? Or are you talking 20 minutes and then another 20 minutes in the afternoon? 
No, I think, again, this comes back to what's workable for you. Um, and it may take some trial and error as well. But I think the first option is is generally what I'd recommend. So 20 minutes, short break, um, 20 minutes, short break, and pace yourself across the day. So you're covering within your time scale, uh, your, your timetable that you've devised, you're covering, uh, say, a, a module or a chunk of a topic um, that you've allocated that day for across the day, spread out in short bursts. So I hope that makes sense. So kind of thinking about how to maximize your time and not just, I mean, if you're sitting there looking at a book for hours on end, a point will come when it's not really going in anymore and you're not engaging with it and you're you're glazing over. Um, so it's not just about sitting there in terms of number of hours constantly, continuously. Um, it's about whether you're, whether it's actually going in, whether you're using that time efficiently and effectively. And a part of this also, I think, is knowing again it comes back to knowing yourself removing distractions so if you know you're distracted by notifications on your phone or your ipad being nearby or whatsapp messages or whatever remove those distractions so part of it is i think knowing that that is a distraction for you and then taking steps to remove those distractions similarly with music for some people music uh, classical music concentration you can find playlists for that um that sort of thing can be conducive to um, you know, concentration, but equally, if you're listening to pop music, with lyrics and singing along, unlikely to be the most effective strategy there. So knowing what what is a, is a distracting influence on you and removing those so that you're able to focus meaningfully on the task at hand and really making the most of that time so that you can. And I think me personally, checklists, you know, so you've got your timetable and you've got your checklist. There's something very satisfying about ticking things off for me. Um, and that makes you feel like you've achieved your goal for that day or that morning or whatever it is. So that is something that I think um, can help you. Um, and it's incremental, isn't it? So you're doing little bits at a time, but over time it's building up and you're covering the syllabus Um effectively working towards your end goal uh so yeah that that's my first sort of um tips about sort of the process of getting started and just get stuck in i think that's the biggest thing just sort of devise that schedule work out what you want to cover what over what time scale break it in manageable chunks short bursts really maximizing your time and um using that time efficiently and effectively being distraction so that's a bit about that um Moving on from that, I think there is no substitute for really understanding what is covered in the syllabus. So I think for me personally, when we worked on things with my daughters, we go back to basics. So you look at the syllabus, the syllabus is on the board website. We read the, the textbook, the resources you have, the note cards you may have made while you were sort of going through your textbook. Um, so reviewing the syllabus, making sure that you're clear on what topics are being what topics are covered in the syllabus, um, what um, the course content is. Be strong on that because um, it's really important to remember that they can't test you on anything that isn't on the syllabus. Um, I know that sounds obvious and it's a given, but I think it's important to remind ourselves of that fact, because if we go back to the syllabus, we make sure we're solid on all the topics. There are literally going to be no holes in any of our knowledge. Um, that uh, can kind of erode our confidence, I think, as well. So a lot of that is, is a confidence building thing as well. Um, and there's no substitute for that. So going back to the syllabus, um, uh, with my daughters, we always used to cover the textbook in manageable chunks from September to about February-ish. 
And then what we do is we do a kind of speed uh, through the textbook again, um, reviewing everything that we've covered in the last few months, um, re reviewing our resources, notes, note cards. My daughters always used to make notes um, whenever we covered a topic, make flashcards on case studies, for example, for geography or uh, formulae for physics or whatever it was. Um, and then reviewing that, especially valuable is reviewing the stuff for your own notes. Um, and so thinking about that, um, there are only so many possible questions that they can ask you on a topic. There are only so many sort of possible permutations. So if you cover as, um, depending on what boards you're studying, and there are more papers available for some specifications than others, past papers, um, for some subjects, especially Cambridge subjects, there's a huge wealth of past papers. So if you just go through papers, you will have covered all the topics um, and covered virtually all of the possible um, ways in which certain topics are covered and the questions that are posed on that topic are presented to you. So that's important to remember because if you've just done enough of that, um, chances are there's very little that they could ask you that would throw you because you've probably covered it in some way, shape or form already in all your past paper practice. And um, another thing I think is to think about knowing again knowing yourself so what areas do you find you particularly struggle with what areas are particularly challenging for you maybe there are some dry topics found quite hard going heavy going when you went through them the first time so find strategies for addressing identifying and tackling those weak areas so one effective um strategy for this is talking it through so just describing or explaining what you've learned um, to somebody, a lay person who doesn't know the syllabus, so you're presenting it in a way that they understand it, then it shows and it reinforces your own knowledge and understanding. Um, and it makes it less sort of arduous. Um, another strategy, and my eldest daughter did this for a couple of her GCSEs, is she uh, paired up with a friend who lived quite a distance from her, so it wasn't in person, it was online, and she just used to have these study buddy sessions where they used to kind of quiz each other. They'd decide a topic that they were going to look at in the next session, they'd have a Zoom call, and then they'd kind of quiz each other and test each other on having that sort of accountability um, meant that they were both sort of more on it. <laughs> and sort of focused on making sure that they did cover that topic. Um, there's also, and I think this is really important for students who are maybe audiovisual, there's a wealth of resources online and YouTube is your friend. <laughs> you know, I over the years I'd made up, I've made up so many YouTube playlists for every subject that we covered. Um, so there are past paper walkthroughs and podcasts and there are resources like that. And another thing is you you can also create your own recordings like, you know, um, uh, on, on Zoom or record audio recordings. Um, something I used to do back in the day when a cassette tape, I used to record notes and then you can listen to it on the go. Like if you're on the tube or if you're on the bus or, um, you know, and, and there's something I always thought in subliminal learning there as well, sort of you're absorbing it without... Um, realizing it in a kind of unconscious way if it's playing in the background while you're doing the housework or whatever doing tidying your room so I think there's it's a it's kind of mixing up the, the styles as well so not just sitting there with your textbook in front of you endlessly day after day because that can get very very um exhausting I think and kind of a bit dull and repetitive so mixing up 
with audiovisual things that are there's so many out there um to choose from some sometimes you kind of think there's just so much it's overwhelming in terms of knowing which ones to select but try out different things and look for recommendations as well um another thing um in terms of covering the the topics is I always thought that it's a good idea to mix up the order in which you approach the topic. So not necessarily going from front of the book to back of the book, you know, front cover to the end, because I don't know about other people, but for us, when we started in September, refresh after summer break, often you're full of enthusiasm and you're sort of tackling it and you're eager. And then sort of around the middle of the year, you kind of have this sort of not... Um, yeah, not I wouldn't say nosedive, but you have a little slump, I think, where you're starting to fag a little bit. And there's quite often we found that the topics that we covered in the middle of the year were the ones maybe that we were a bit hazy on. And also because you just sort of start from the beginning and go through the textbook again and again, you get stronger reinforcing the knowledge that you you covered with and the middle area of this of the textbook sort of gets a little bit fuzzy. So start with the middle of the textbook in your vision not just sort of going back to, from the beginning and working your way through so mixing up the order in, in terms of how you approach topics and as I said like allowing and building in plenty of time for past paper practice which will help you hone um, your exam technique so it will help you weed out any areas that you need to focus on and identify those weak areas and then think about strategies for tackles so yeah instead of sort of I think there's a natural tendency for us to want to avoid things that we find difficult or changing. Um, and, and I think that's not helpful in this context because you want to head, tackle head on those issues that are problematic for you or that are challenging. And that way you build your confidence rather than sort of trying to avoid it. And then, you know, you've got this sort of doubt in the back of your mind, you know, um, that what if that question comes up and that's not good for your confidence either. So I think a lot of it is that build your confidence, your knowledge of the subject, having a sound knowledge of the subject and feeling like you're on top of it in terms of a timescale really does help to build confidence. Um, and that's that's a big part of it, I think. And so yeah, moving on in terms of past papers. So yeah, I was thinking in the last few weeks, um, we'd, uh, we'd kind of aim to run through the textbook again with that second reading between over about two weeks, typically, I think. Um, um, sort of February-ish time. And then we would just devote sort of Feb March onwards to past paper practice um, and obviously revisiting trickier topics that, you know, um, when you're doing past papers, it becomes apparent which areas you're struggling on, which areas you're not scoring highly on in terms of marks. So you go and revisit. So it's an ongoing process. You're kind of going and filling in any gaps that um, emerge. And so in that last phase of about a month, five, six weeks maximum, I'd say, um, of past paper practice, um, with my daughters, typically we did a paper a day. Um, and if that's daunting, you don't have to start with a paper a day. You can build up to that from, you know, using sort of mini mops, focusing on a particular topic. So I did that for geography, for example. I collected together past paper questions on specific topics. Um, did that for environmental management with my daughter and she did it last year as well, the youngest one. So collecting together um, past paper questions on specific topics. Um, you could also, another um, option is to start with an open book approach to exam papers. So do the exam paper uh, with the book alongside so you can refer back to it if you find your mind is a bit um, 
blank on certain topics. And in the process of doing that, um, you should be filling those gaps. Um, and the key here is sort of replicating or simulating the exam process as much as possible as you get closer to the exam. So trying to create the conditions uh, um, and so you get used to that. Um, so you're not phased by it when you're on the actual day of the exam. So building up from the open book approach or looking at mini mocks, focusing on specific topics, if that's, you know, if doing a whole paper is too uh, overwhelming to the point where you are doing a complete paper um, within the specified time frame, um, one a day, and then using past paper uh, mark schemes associated with those past papers and the examiner's reports to really identify what exactly um, examiners are looking for. Understanding mark schemes is a really important aspect of revision strategy. So I always think of it as like playing a game taking exams. So if you don't know the rules of the game, you can't score the points and the rules of the game are in the mark scheme. That's what examiners are using to assess students' responses. So understanding what they're looking for naturally helps you tailor your responses to what they're looking for. And a lot of that as part of that is understanding subject-specific terminology. There's a huge difference between having a strong knowledge on a subject and tailoring it to the demands of exam questions which I think sometimes people, um, you know, neglect. They don't fo focus on that as much as they should do. And then consequently, even if they have a good knowledge of the subject, unfortunately, they're not doing themselves justice um, in an exam situation, not tailoring it exactly to the requirements of the question or what examiners are looking for. I, I think that's really true because you, you've been talking about, you know, the importance of planning, planning your revision and making sure that you're covering the content and the the topics from the syllabus um and i think this idea that you also have to you have to know your stuff but also know how to present it in the exam is so important isn't it because i know that we we actually did a podcast uh, i did a podcast with chitana greenwood about exam hacks and this was all about basically understanding what this word means in this syllabus yeah. you know what does explain mean here what does describe mean here and it's and it's the kind of thing that easily can push you up a grade just being really clear about what the exam because the different exams mean different things for describe and for explain. It's very frustrating. You can't you can't always assume they're going to mean the same thing. So that, I'm guessing that's what you mean when you're talking about subject specific terminology. Yes. 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 But also things like the difference between amount and volume, for example, in the sciences. You know, they're expecting you to use specific terminology, which um, you know, most of the syllabus, uh, you know, when you look at the syllabuses online, they'll often have a glossary. Um, textbooks often have a glossary or keywords defined, and you can find them online as well. Um, so, you know, kind of really understanding. I mean, there are a lot of um, easy, easy, quote unquote, um, low hanging fruit marks available for questions which just ask for definition. So understanding, you know, really understanding terminology is crucial to that. But also, as you say, and I, I'm going to speak briefly about um, the importance of understanding command words as well um, as part of decoding what a question is asking of you, um, which I think a lot of the time um, students in their rush to get writing don't properly understand what they're being asked to produce and what, what the exam question is asking of them. And that's really important because if you haven't got the focus right, 
even if your answer is brilliant, um, you're not going to be, they haven't got grounds to award you the marks because you're missing the mark, um, literally. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's kind of thinking about um, using past papers. Um, you want to aim to write your paper within the specified time, because obviously that's what you're building up to. Initially, you may find that that's, that's a struggle, but with time, and this is where I think practice really does bring improvement uh, <laughs> because with that you build your strength your stamina um physically as well as anything else and you know handwriting for two hours is 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 you know we may think handwriting papers is anachronistic and <laughs> you know in an age of email and online communication but exams are still handwritten so building up that physical stamina but also the mental stamina to cope with that um is 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 a part of the past paper practice um uh you know experience as well building that up over time so that you know it's all um valuable in terms of building your confidence so on the day uh you almost i think once you once you get to a certain point you almost go into autopilot i think on the day of the exam when you kind of you've done so many you almost anticipate um a lot of the questions that are going to come up. Certainly some of the topics that are regular, you know, regularly appear on past papers, you kind of expect and anticipate mm -hmm. certain questions and you're less likely to be phased. And remember also that you're not aiming for 100%, even for a top grade. So you don't have to score absolutely 100% on each question, which I think you sometimes, uh, sometimes people lose sight of that as well. So, um, yeah, on the topic of past papers, for some boards, I mentioned that uh, there are fewer papers available than for others. So for Cambridge, for a lot of the subjects, there have there's a ton of past papers available because they have several sittings a year, um, and they have variants for each each sitting because of the different time zones the papers are taken in, so that they don't, you know, it kind of uh, reduces or eliminates the possibility of people cheating or leaking the papers to people in other time zones so that means that all those past papers are there three variants um for each sitting um which are all, all additional opportunities for you to practice um and so that that i think is really really important um for certain subjects uh for ed exam particular when they had a big revamp of a lot of their um gcse's and igcse's a few years ago um they they changed the syllabus so um, there's effectively a new syllabus in place for a lot of subjects. Uh, however, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that old spec papers aren't of any use because quite often the topics, the core topics haven't changed that fundamentally. Um, they've tweaked it in a lot of cases. And quite often, just to mention, you can find mapping documents on uh, at Excel's website, which kind of highlight points of similarity you can compare um, so just to give you an anecdotal example of that, so my my middle daughter sat, uh, my older daughter sat the Edexcel IGCSE biology exam. And then, uh, yeah, no, my middle daughter, she sat the new spec one. There was, I got the new textbook and there was virtually no difference. There were sort of small bits here and there which were different and they just tweaked it. So the old paper really valuable for practice, but we just had to be aware of where things might be slightly different. So that's just a note on past papers in terms of if there are fewer past papers available for the Edexcel um, IGCSEs in particular, there are still there's still value in old papers just so long as you're aware of where things have been changed a bit. 
The other thing I've noticed is that my daughter's doing AQA history this summer, and you would think that there would be like loads and loads of past papers for AQA GCSE because it's it's the one that most schools do. But unfortunately, AQA seem to have massive copyright issues with their um, images that they use for their source material. So invariably, all of the past papers actually don't have the source material that you need for the paper. And and similarly, my son who's doing A level marine science. That had a huge spec change about three years ago, and and we're doing exactly what you what you say, which is we're still doing the older papers, but we're doing them for the content, less for actually understanding the exam. And and yeah. what one thing I would say when it comes to history, for example, the history paper issue that we're having, is that if you've been studying uh, alongside your child, or if you've been helping them with their work, it's more than possible that you can actually almost make up your own questions. That's what I quite often do. You get a sense of the sort of things they ask. And there's lots and lots of sources online that are available for all these different topics. And so it's easy enough to find a couple of different sources and then write your own questions as well. It's it's hard work and it's not as easy as getting the past paper. But if you really find yourself stuck, you can do that. And also, of course, um, TES resources they um, and Teachers Pay Teachers, they quite often have teachers that have made up kind of yeah. their own exam papers uh, just in case you're struggling to find any. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think actually um, making up your own questions is actually a way of testing your own knowledge also of the subject. So it has a benefit in that sense, too, because you're helping solidify and consolidate what you've covered and really sort of getting your head around what it is that they typically ask for and how they how they you know, there's often questions for geography A level when my um, when my oldest daughter is doing it, which require you to sort of uh, evaluate a statement discuss a statement because typically they'd present you with a statement and you have to discuss it which essentially means looking at arguments for and against and kind of weighing up the evidence and coming to some sort of conclusion and so that is a really good way of really knowing the subject really knowing the topics because in order to come up with a question you have to think about what it is you would be answering how it would be that you'd present as your evidence and what line of argument you take so I think that has that has a benefit in that sense as well so I think that's really good advice. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to talk a little bit. I know you mentioned a bit about command words. And as I said earlier, I think so, so important to be able to decode the exam question, because I think a lot of the time people, students neglect it. And it's very easily done. I tell a lot of my students this, especially the um, ones that, you know, preparing for exams, um, that it's so important to kind of read and understand the question. It sounds obvious, and I and I say this to my students all the time. I know it sounds like you know, like the that's a that's a given, right? But you'd be surprised how many students uh, don't understand what they're being asked. And it, in an exam context, when the pressure is on to get writing, um, and start putting down things on paper, um, it's very easy to just sort of scan the question and not really break it down in terms of really understanding what's required. So my advice here, advice that I give all my students and, and my daughters as well, was to read and understand the question, read it more than once, especially if it's a longer answer that they're looking for and it's sort of a mini essay type question. Read it carefully and understand it, highlighting, circling or underlining the key words. And I always think it's a good um uh, approach to kind of step back from that and ask yourself what does this mean 
what is being what does this word mean what does this and paraphrasing that effectively and so you've really got your head around what it is the examiner is asking of you understanding those command words is really important using highlighters which i often i'm often asked are you allowed to use highlighters yes you are um, is really helpful for yourself in terms of identifying those key terms. And so in terms of command words, I always think I always think of it in terms of levels. So level one is sort of the straightforward identify, give, state, define, really basic knowledge testing questions. Um, so define this term or identify or state or give. Level two is describe or explain. So that's kind of identifying the what and the why. And level three, which are which are the questions which carry the highest marks, are those, you know, like the example I gave you of my daughter's A-level geography, where you have to discuss and evaluate, which really kind of are the most demanding and rightly carry the, the, the greatest number of marks. And so for that, we really need to kind of um, weigh up and consider different perspectives or explanations, the validity of different viewpoints. Um, and and within that, drawing on what you know about the subject and applying that knowledge sometimes to novel situations, like quite often for um, the sciences, they'll they'll talk about in the you know they'll there'll be questions on there which you won't have technically covered that particular scenario or that particular study or whatever that's referenced in the exam. What they're looking for is for you to apply what you know to that novel, unfamiliar situation or scenario. And that's crucial. So, uh, and that can throw students sometimes because they kind of think, well, I haven't covered this study or this, you know, this in, in research. But the point is, you have the knowledge. You need to think about what knowledge applies to this situation, this scenario, and how does that um, make sense of it? How do I make this meaningful? So that's um, some advice on sort of understanding those command words. And those command words are all, and you know, all the boards, I did a quick search actually before we started this call. Um, and there's the BBC Bytes as a, if you just put the board like Edexcel, IGCSE or whatever command words, it will come up with a glossary of the term. So it's worth taking some time to just understand what the difference is between um, explain justify, compare, contrast. So compare and contrast are quite often used in exam questions as well. That's kind of comparing means sort of asking yourself, what are the similarities or differences between these two, whatever it is you're comparing um, approaches. Contrasting is like, well, if you think about what contrast means, it's a difference, isn't it? So thinking about identifying and commenting on quite often those differences. So kind of really taking time to Think about what those different command words mean so that when you're faced with a question using these different command words, um, you are you know exactly what's required. Um, so to analyze again is to examine in detail to show the meaning of something or to identify elements and relationships between them or you know, kind of looking at it in terms of the specifics of the question, but understanding what those command words mean in that context. So worth I would recommend spending time, you know, taking time to, to really understand that. Um, and so I wanted to move on next to talk about time management and exam strategy. It's something I talk quite a lot um, about with students, um, particularly for the syllabus I teach, the Cambridge IGCSE English Language, where and I think this is something worth mentioning. You don't have to attempt the questions in the order that they're presented in. So you don't have to work from front to back 
of the paper in the order in which the questions are presented, um, because quite often the questions which carry the most marks are at the end of the paper. And that might be something that's worth thinking about in terms of how and when you decide to approach that. Because if you're coming towards the end of a two hour paper and there's a question which carries the most marks at the end, and you're running out of time, maybe your hand's starting to get tired, your energy, you know, is starting to flag. Maybe it's worth considering doing, attempting that question earlier, not necessarily as the first question, but starting somewhere in the middle, maybe. So you have a bit of a, you know, warm up, if you like, before you get into the chunkiest question. And so the advice here really is to think about um, experiment with different approaches now you know sort of while you've got the time in the run-up to the exam and work out what works for you um think about how you manage your time as well um you know how much time you're going to devote to each of those questions and the rough rule of thumb generally for most subjects is spending uh, a minute on a question that's worth one mark so a mark a minute is your general sort of rule of thumb um However, this will vary. So for the English syllabus that I teach, there is reading time built into that. So, and also time you want to set aside for proofreading your responses as well, especially for English. So you're honing out any uh, grammatical inconsistencies or mistakes with spelling or just checking that, checking the sense as well, that there's no, nothing that sort of glaringly uh, doesn't make sense there. Um, so being uh, mindful of, how you allocate your time to different questions is the key here. And that will vary for different subjects. But thinking about your strategy, um, when it comes to those longer questions, thinking about how you're going to approach them. So devising a brief plan for longer responses. And I always say this to students because there's a kind of some students sort of proudly announce almost like a badge of honor that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't plan anything. I just write it as I go along. And to, to be honest, um, having marked lots and lots of past papers, you can always tell the responses that are planned and thought through. They're just more polished and they're just they're presented in a more logical, coherent order. Like a lot of the time when students haven't planned, it shows because the writing feels a bit disjointed. They're mentioning A, then they talk on talk about B, then they go back to A, and it sort of doesn't flow as well. So Again, I know and I'm aware of the fact that, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that students have this pressure on them to get writing. But a lot of the time for uh, longer responses, mini essay type questions or um, questions where you're being asked to explore or discuss something, um, having a brief outline, a plan um, helps you because it helps you organize your thoughts and your ideas. And it gives you a roadmap, which allows for a degree of flexibility, but allows you, I always think of it as like, you know, if you were going somewhere for the first time, um, you know, you'd look up the route on maps or whatever, and you'd work out where you were going, where you're, you know, where you're starting from, what your destination is and how you're getting there. So I think of it as a roadmap, letting, kind of helping you get to your destination, which I think, um, it's, um, I think it's kind of psychologically relaxing as well, isn't it? When when you've got just a few little bullet points at the top of the page, it's almost like your brain can just settle down a little bit and think, OK, I don't have to remember uh, uh, alongside all the other things I have to remember. I don't have to remember the structure of what I'm writing. 
Yes, you don't have to hold that in your mind constantly. And also you can refer back to it to check you're on track and you're not deviating or going off on a tangent. So you can go back to it and think, oh, what was I going to write about in the middle? Oh, yes, I refer back to my plan. And, and then obviously there's a degree of flexibility. So some new ideas might come to you while you're writing, which you can then build in as appropriate. But it's got you've got a framework, a sort of template an outline and that's helpful in terms of your own confidence as well I think as yeah as you say it sort of helps you feel like you've got a handle on this um and you know I think we shouldn't underestimate sitting exams especially the first exams it's daunting um so the more you can do to help yourself build your confidence and feel like you're in control of the situation the better um and practicing applying your knowledge also I mentioned you know the subject specific terminology volume um versus amount Another one for biology is oxygen versus air. You know, students, if you use the word air, you won't get the mark because they're looking for the word oxygen, you know, not breathing in air, you're breathing in oxygen because that's biologically looking for there. Um, so it's being aware of that kind of thing. Um, attention to the mark allocation is don't spend unnecessarily um, long amounts of, on questions which carry few marks, thereby giving yourself less time for questions which carry more marks if that makes sense so kind of thinking about um you know pacing yourself and again practicing is is helpful there i think that tends to happen because the smaller mark the lower mark questions are at the start of the exam paper when everyone first sits down and they're super enthusiastic and so quite often my daughter for example for like two mark questions she will she will write lots and I'm like no you know get in a, in about an hour and a half you're going to really regret that because a yeah. you're going to cut down on your time but also your energy and, and your enthusiasm it's 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 you're using up your energy a bit early aren't you yeah yeah it starts to flag I think I think that's absolutely right I think there's a tendency to want to kind of perform to your best obviously at the beginning and then you kind of have your your writing I've seen students write unnecessarily long answers for example for something that's just a one marker where they just need to write one word even or just a very simple short sentence and you don't need to be because they're not you're not going to get any more marks for that they just want the key information that's where understanding from the mark schemes and so on comes in um what's required um, and just writing what you're aiming to do really is write as little as possible, nailing as many marks and points as possible, um, writing as, as succinctly as possible. But having it in, in you can have you can get all the marks just from writing one sentence sometimes, um, as opposed to writing a paragraph where you're covering the same things, but it's unnecessarily wordy and goes into unnecessary detail. And this comes back to the command word. So if you're just asked to describe, don't bother explaining. If you're asked to just state, you don't need to describe, you just need to state. So it's that kind of thing that comes back to kind of understanding what the question is is asking of you. I think in some uh, ways, uh, the opposite is also sometimes true with the longer the longer questions, which is things like, you know, for things like history or the humanities, English, that kind of thing. When it comes to sort of like 10 mark questions, the temptation sometimes is for students to pack too much into one sentence when realistically you're really wanting a paragraph, a point almost, aren't you, for those yes. longer ones? Yeah. And that's where I think examiner's reports come in really, really handy there, because I always think of examiner's reports as almost like a kind of guide to do's and don'ts. Because what the examiners do is having they sit down or having reviewed every every candidate's response, um, you know, in that sitting, they gather together the observations of examiners in this report. And it, it basically highlights what they found students struggled with, what they found, what the typical mistakes that students made. 
things that were done well. And so it's really, really instructive to kind of read through that and understand what the common pitfalls are and the issues are so that you avoid them and you're kind of wise and alert to that. Um, and yeah, sort of thinking about, you know, really kind of understanding um, what it is that examiners are looking for and the common, common, you know, mistakes that students make or how they kind of don't don't always nail it and why. Um, and I think I think initially, and I think it's worth mentioning this. So it's a process. Revision and exam practice papers are it's a process. So don't be discouraged if in those early stages when you're doing your first couple of papers, don't be disheartened if you get sort of a D or a C or whatever, because with practice, you can expect to improve by up to two grades a lot of the time. Quite a lot. It's, it's quite common for students to go up by an average of two grades from the point when they're starting papers and the exams themselves. And I think often students are really hard on themselves. They kind of think, on my first paper, I need to be scoring that A or scoring that C or whatever it is. And to be honest, I think is you you have to kind of take from it and it's incremental so every time you sit a paper and there are areas which you've identified which are weaker or something a command word you didn't quite um you know nail then you learn from that and then the next time something comes up like that you can apply that experience you know you the knowledge you've gained from that previous experience to that new situation and then you'll be you'll be sort of in a stronger position so I think that's really important. And I think in the early days and with past papers, it is a bit of a slog because you can pour over the mark schemes and the examiner's reports. But I think it's important to recognize that um, it gets faster with practice and self-marking papers. So I used to sit with my daughters and mark them with my daughters so that we could discuss and see what was what hadn't gone quite right or what was missing or what topics we need to go back and revisit. Um, and that was really helpful in terms of getting to grips with and developing understanding of what examiners are looking for. And also remembering the great looking at the grade boundaries as well, because some people don't realize that the grade boundaries for some papers, especially for English and Maths, are not as high as you might expect. So kind of being aware of like, you know, for depending on what grade you're aiming for, what the typical boundary is for that to, to, to what kind of marks you need to be scoring across both papers to average that so you can aim for that um yeah so that sort of all that information is out there and it's really helpful i think um and uh yeah in terms of like i wanted to talk a little bit about resources tips and tricks next so wanting to um kind of go through some of the things that worked for us some of the things that i know have worked for other students um, and one of the things that I, I always thought was really valuable with my daughters, we did a lot of conversational learning. So a lot of it was like we'd be on the bus or the tube and talking about a topic. And it's really, really it goes back to what I was saying about my daughter with her study buddy friend um, talking about or explaining what you've learned to somebody else is really valuable because you can't really explain a topic unless you understand it fully yourself. Um, also things like getting someone to test you like on terminology or um, topics um, that sort of thing really does help you test your own knowledge and reinforce what you know um, and alongside that so another resource that we've always found helpful we used particularly for maths which was uh, you know, both my we did that again as we did with all our other subjects, so with the textbook and YouTube and resources online. Um, but uh, you know, my background is in English, not math, so it was one I was a little bit more apprehensive about. Let's just say that. 
I did do quite well at maths, but I didn't take it to A level or anything. So um, I, I found uh, Path Paper Walkthroughs a really, really valuable resource, really incredible, um, because it talks you, especially for something like maths, you can see how you get from the question to the answer in steps with someone explaining it. And it makes so much more sense. Um, and so these, that was, and these walkthroughs are pretty much found on YouTube, aren't they? These yeah, exam walkthroughs. Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're typically done by teachers and examiners, and so they're really, really valuable. I think sometimes even more valuable than having a tutor, um, you know, because it just helps you hone in on, and gives you, you know, like literally walks you through the whole process from, you know each question how you get to the answer um so that that was very very helpful especially and for the topics we found trickiest i know when my son was doing astronomy gcse and there weren't a lot of resources online we found we found a physics channel physics with keith on youtube and he was doing astronomy paper walkthroughs and and it was so helpful because it was just this just this person sort of saying you know when this kind of question comes up they're looking for this kind of thing and when there's not a, when you're doing a subject where there's not a lot of resources online or maybe you've just had the textbook it's yeah. really nice to find these walkthroughs and actually cambridge in particular in the UK, there's not a lot of resources for Cambridge IGCSEs, but on YouTube, there's yeah. a there's a lot of stuff because, of course, it's it's much more global. And you'll find often on YouTube, you'll get these walkthroughs of really quite niche IGCSE papers. Yeah, for sure. And we did we used lots of them for lots of different subjects. So we, we did a mixture of Cambridge and Excel. But you're right that for Cambridge, there's because it's not sat as widely within the UK um, and it's more a global phenomenon. Um, Cambridge is huge internationally. So there are a lot of teachers at international schools. Um, a lot of I remember because um, India have their own sitting for some of their papers. I remember looking at a um, Indian channels, uh, channels made by Indian content provi um, providers uh, and uh, content creators. Um, just cre walking through, um, I think we did physics with Cambridge. And so it was really, really helpful because, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's useful to kind of bear that in mind. So kind of thinking a little bit more creatively, maybe sometimes, um, and thinking along those lines about um, the benefit of gamifying things. So that's something that we used to do as well. So it can be, on, you know, on a very simple level, like kind of memory match type games, pairing up definitions with terms, um, or there are online resources like um, Seneca and Kahoot, um, Cognito, Quizlet was something my oldest daughter found really, really useful because there are a wealth of um, Quizlet, um, uh, you know, Con there's a lot of content that students and teachers have created, but be wary that, you know, because anybody can create a Quizlet set. So, um, you know, just check that it's, it's um, you know, all correct and as it should be. But what she found really useful was creating her own, creating her own, because that helped her in the process. It was time consuming, but creating her own Quizlet set was actually really helpful because she was reinforcing. It was a revision tool and exercise in itself to to create them and then to use them as a resource to test herself I think um, so um we we found that exact thing my daughter makes her own Quizlet revision cards and just the process of making them means that she then remembers them and I I remember when my son was doing 
I think it was chemistry, and he had to had to have all these equations memorized. He made all these flashcards because he's much more analog, so he made them all on bits of card. And and then he said, "Oh, will you test me on the flashcards?" He knew them all just because he'd written them all out. And the process of making the flashcards meant they were almost redundant by the time we actually got to use them. But that's a bonus, that's, right? Because that's the point, isn't it? And so you've got that you've you've let you've solidified your knowledge in the process of creating it. And so I think that's that sort of thing is really useful. And again, it comes back to that point. I made earlier about mixing up your approach and not sort of slavishly just going through the textbook every day. Slog, you know, it's a slog that way, but sort of using these alternative approaches to mix it up and keep it engaging. And, and also, um, yeah. um, you can obviously use this approach for. I think sometimes people think, oh, well, that's fine for like maths and science, where you're, you know, you're sort of saying what is peristalsis, and they're, you know, and then they flip it over, and there's like a one one line answer. But actually, I find that it's also very helpful for all sorts of humanities subjects. We yes. we did a lot of flashcards, which were things like, for example, for history, you have questions where it's things like um which source is the most convincing and yeah. for example you can't you you don't talk about provenance or you might talk about provenance but you don't talk about your own knowledge or maybe you talk about your own knowledge but you don't talk about the content etc cetera, etc cetera. and even even just having that really firm awareness of what the question is asking for, which obviously cycles back a little bit to when you're talking about decoding the paper. Yeah. Even just flashcards on that, I think, are really helpful for humanities. For sure, for sure. I think that's really valuable advice. And I think it comes back to what you were saying earlier about creating your own questions. So in that context, like you're, you're kind of having to understand the kinds of questions that would be typically posed in order to create those flashcards for yourself to test yourself. So it's all sort of part of the same process. and sort of thinking about other um, audio-visual sort of aids or tools that we used, um, diagrams and color coding and making uh, posters, uh, mind maps, you know, that kind of thing is it's some for some students that's really valuable. Um, so they're kind of looking, sort of zooming out and getting the big picture and seeing how all the different topics fit together. And especially for A-level, kind of forming synoptic links, so kind of know, knowing how certain topics might fit together and linkages between them. Um, so that's quite helpful in terms of getting a kind of bird's eye perspective on everything. And the things, simple things as well. It could be as simple as, like I remember when we did um, physics, having post-it notes all over like parts of the house with formulae and key terms and things. And just so that, you know, by... Be, you know that process of being exposed to it every time you go to the bathroom or whatever you're seeing it there um or like my middle daughter had them uh, alongside her bed I think so she used to see them like every day and, and then you know you're just kind of uh it's sort of reinforcing and and fixing it in your mind a lot of the time because there is so much memorization involved with that so a lot of subjects isn't there I think a lot of for a lot of students as well who are very visual learners that kind of thing like post-it notes with things up is so valuable and then for other students who may be more I can't even remember the types of learning now but where you need to write it down yeah. creating the flashcards and and I know that when I was younger I was I I think it was last summer we had a lot of butterflies last summer and I was looking at these butterflies didn't have a clue what they were and I remember I had a poster right by my head when I when I was in bed for about seven years when I was a child of all of the British butterflies I still don't know them because I'm not that kind I don't I don't yeah. remember stuff from having it around me visually but if I'd have written it down with the description I would know to this day what butterflies they were and it's about 
I think one thing I'm really picking up on from from our chat today is the importance of having all these different sorts of approaches, whether that is having all these different approaches to revision, having all these different approaches to when you do how you do exam papers, all these different pro approaches to, you know, whether it's audio visual, whether it is writing it down, whether it's gamifying. And I think by doing that, not only does it create variety, but it allows you to expose your child to um, methods of learning that they will find helpful as yeah. opposed to ones maybe that you find helpful or that you learned as a child. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think what it comes back to is this idea that knowing you, it's about knowing yourself, what works for you and what works for you might not work for the next person because we all have a very individual style of learning. And, um, you know, there are different, knowing that there's a wealth of different ways in which to learn and understanding those modes of learning is something that will stand you, you know, in good stead, having that level of awareness, I think, you know, going forward, not just for um, this particular subject or exam that you're doing. And I think that's the beauty of home ed. Sorry to like go hark on again about like how wonderful home ed is, which I feel yeah. like I do every podcast, but it is a home ed podcast. But the, the fact that we are we are doing all this from home, I'm sure there are people listening who think, my God, this is a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work to do this. If they're in school, I wouldn't have to be doing any of this. But realistically, in school, they are they are they revise and they learn the way the teacher does. And now a good teacher will have all sorts of different approaches into a subject, but that's not always the case. And the beauty of doing it from home is that your child understands and learns how they learn, which is, like you say, a skill that they will take, whether they go to university or not, knowing, understanding how you learn is, yeah. is so vital because it wasn't until I got into my 30s that I realized I learned from writing stuff down because in a school, we just did it the way we were told to do it. Now, my yeah. son, who is 17, he knows already that that's how he learns because he's had this exposure through home education to being in charge of his of his learning journey. Yeah, exactly. And it is a process, isn't it? So you try out different things and you work out what works and what doesn't work and what suits you. And so I know for myself, um, for example, that I, I writing things down, I will still write things down in preference if I'm trying to uh, kind of... Um, in what's uh what's the word um from trying to process that's the word i'm trying to process information especially if it's new information and maybe uh in, in information heavy content um writing it down helps me engage actively with it and break it down in a meaningful way for me and i'm sort of it's a it's a kind of reciprocal process between me and what i'm reading rather than just me sort of passively reading it and letting it wash over me and then i get up to a saturation point where nothing more is going in um, that's, so what, that's absolutely what I find because my daughter is a very much a visual learner. So, you know, all these things you were talking about, flashcards and Quizlet and putting post-it notes up, that's how she learns. Now, um, she does Duolingo. In fact, the whole family do Duolingo and we all have a different approach to Duolingo. She very much just sits down, she does a lesson a day, that's it. And and it it absorbs slowly over repetition and visualness. Yeah. I have a notebook next to me, and every time a new word comes up, I'm like writing it down in my notebook. Yeah. I don't rely on just the visual aspect. And and this is all about these different routes into learning. And and the more you understand how you learn, the more efficient you are at learning. Which means that come exam time, you're more efficient at exam time. Yeah, and I think it builds confidence as well, because then you know that it's not just you not being able to learn something, it's just the approach you need you need you need to take. Um, you need to modify that according to what works for you. Because if you're not the type of person who can read and memorize a textbook, no amount of sitting there and reading the textbook is going to help that knowledge seep into your brain and lock itself there. So you have to find the strategy that does work for you. And that 
because it's incredibly demoralizing if you were to do that and then not be able to get that content, you know, etched in your brain. Um, so and then that has repercussions in terms of like your own confidence in yourself and your ability to learn. So being aware of that actually helps the process and builds your own confidence in your ability as well, which I think is so important. Continuing on that sort of topic really and thinking in terms of like sometimes I think one of the biggest things is certainly for A-level is just a huge volume of content and so one of the things that I always like to do for myself is break it down and think of it a bit like if you want to use an organic image it would be something like a tree so the trunk is like the body of knowledge and then you've got within that subject specific sort of topics which are your branches and then they they branch off further into these little twigs so or a kind of a non-organic um, analogy would be like a computer analogy so you've got your your um you've got your folders and you've got your subdivided sort of folders within that so basically it i think that helps you a bit like the sort of mind mapping across a whole subject helps you see how everything fits together and gives you a sense of how it's interconnected um especially where you have to kind of think across topics which you do for a, a lot of the more discuss evaluate analyze type questions we'll want to see you making those linkages um, between different areas of the syllabus i think that comes back to that one of the very first points you made about making a revision schedule and using the syllabus is that as you were talking i had this wonderful kind of image in my mind of a big poster where you you know you write at the trunk of the tree you know the roots you write the subject you know environmental management or whatever and then you have all these different offshoots and and actually when if you have the textbook uh, or all the syllabus if you download it it's actually very very easy to do this because most exams they have something like seven or eight big topics then within that big topic they'll have smaller topics and if you were to create for example or your child was to create a big poster with those on not only are they then making these patterns that you say uh, are so important about understanding how topics link together but it's also a means whereby they can maybe mark off you know color it in when they revised it or whatever it is that motivates them yeah, definitely. So it's all it's no, it's kind of having a, at hand all those different strategies and tools. It's having a toolkit really of different strategies that you can apply, which work for you and which you know tried and tested um will will produce results and and help you uh build your knowledge, reinforce it and build your confidence in the process. So there's mind maps. And another thing is sort of um, you know, we did psychology with my older two as well. And so kind of thinking about how you can sometimes create a story out of what you're learning. So you kind of visualize going on a story or visualize uh, images in your mind that link different ideas. Um, and, you know, thinking about context-based learning as well. So kind of imagining a scenario where this might happen, um, whatever it is you're looking at. Um, so, uh, you know, there's the context-based learning and thinking about how you could how you can make it kind of relevant in some way um meaningful therefore more likely to be retained in the memory um so things like that can be helpful uh, i guess that sort of is similar to kind of the use of mnemonics like some you know in some in some ways you know so thinking about how um mrs h gren might tell you about the life processes and things and and biology and things like that it helps you with that subject specific terminology things like physics you know using formula triangles which is a really nice way of um thinking about the relationship between different variables and things um and yeah i just wanted to also say that in terms of just a general tip also is 
thinking about formula triangles and mathematical stuff, a lot of subjects will have an element. And I think a lot of students feel a bit intimidated by data, data interpretation or any kind of mathsy type questions. I know things like environmental management and geography have those elements. Psychology has a third of the marks are on research methods, which include data interpretation and statistical things, aspects and tests. So that can be a bit intimidating if you're not a mathsy person, but don't throw away marks for that. Again, it's sort of don't bury your head in the sand and try to ignore that because it's sort of challenging for you. But um, kind of try to confront that directly and get to grips with that in terms of you know simple skills and basic skills which are also going to be relevant for maths and the sciences things like reading tables and pie charts and drawing graphs and knowing how to label your axes and how to plot points on the graph and everything else so those sorts of things are useful for so many subjects and not just maths but the sciences geography environmental management and um, psychology all have elements of those sort of data interpretation and analysis of, um, you know, pie charts and graphs and things. So, uh, yeah, it's something that um, is worth investing some time and um, effort into sort of getting to grips with. I think if I was going to have my time again, which thankfully I'm not going to, uh, if I was going to have my time <laughs> you again, never know. Are, you never know. <laughs> maybe the grandchildren. <laughs> there, <laughs> there are two things that I would focus on, one sciency and one humanities. And I would have focused on these much earlier, like around about 10, 11. And the first one is tables, graphs, because I think, like you say, that is so helpful uh, for, for so many subjects all the way through. My son did a marine science A-level mock paper and it was mm. data handling. And yeah. he, he came to me afterwards and and quite bereft. He said, there were no graphs. There were no graphs. How can <laughs> there be no graphs? Because he because he did statistics as his very first GCSE when he was 13. And that helped him so much because even his A-level maths now is still using the same kind of statistics that he learned in his GCSE. And the second thing I would, I would do is um, on a completely, almost like the contrary side, I would do a lot more... Um, looking at nuance and uh, you know what's under the surface of texts you know what what is not being said what is being implied meanings, yeah yeah because i think in things like history and english those kind of those that kind of um looking below the surface i think they are probably the two core skills that i've seen most uh, come up most often in GCSEs, all sorts of different subject GCSEs. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with you. So the stuff that we did, like my my eldest daughter, who's reading psychology at university, the stuff that she did at GCSE level for maths and the sciences, as well as she did psychology as well, but even if she hadn't, I mean, with the data analysis, the statistical methods, there's a huge chunk of it at A-level and the same sort of thing, but obviously developed and sort of built on at degree level. So there is, you know, it follows through. So you're laying foundations, really. Um, and also, I think in general, like, you know, to be sort of um, able to understand data in society, you know, like looking at, you know, news reports and things and uh, being able to be, uh, you know, interpret graphs and charts and things is something that I think is a good skill in life generally, um, as is what you were talking about with implicit meaning. So being able to understand subtext, you know, thinking about what, what's being suggested at or hinted at and not necessarily that critical evaluation, being able to kind of analyze and pick apart things and understand I always say this to my English students, like being able to understand how, uh, you know, advertising, for example, might be trying to 
influence our perceptions you know that's what I think is so important as a as a skill as you know just functioning in society you know to be able to kind of know when we might be being manipulated and know when we kind of need to kind of think beyond just the superficial surface level of meaning and to be able to dive into that sort of nuts you know those subtleties and nuance there that are being suggested so I really I'm a firm believer in that and I think it's so important to encourage that that mindset that sort of critical mindset from a young age so yeah I totally agree with you on that and I think um, actually as humans, you know, the yeah. ability to be able to understand statistics and data without just without having to rely on a third party translating it for us who may have their own biases and also raising a new generation that are critically evaluating what they hear and how they're being influenced. I mean, you know, without getting like super political, these are all good things, right, for, for, for sure. our new generation. Mm. For sure. I absolutely agree with that. And so that's always something that I've tried to foster with my kids, but also with my students, because it's not just about sitting, uh, you know, studying English as an exercise in itself to sit the exam and tick that box. It's about sort of what skills you take forward in terms of how you how you are functioning within society and how you kind of examine, you know, uh, information, which may be apparently sort of supposedly unbiased, but you're sort of, you know, picking apart that for yourself. And as you say, not via third party, being able to do that independently um, is a really important skill, I think, and something that we need to foster. Um, especially in the social media age. I mean, we could go off and do a whole, t- a whole podcast on that, but I think it's so important to have that sort of awareness. That awareness is important. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of um, some tips there I had in general about sort of using this toolkit of different strategies that work, you know, finding out what works for you and using a whole array of different, having, a, having them at your disposal, really, um, and knowing what works for you. And then last of all, I think I had some practical uh, advice in terms of um, for the day itself or in advance of on the day itself. So things like sort of, again, I think so much of the exam taking process is about building confidence. So knowing what to expect. So things like visiting the exam centre in advance, knowing the route you're taking, testing out the journey, checking for delays, looking after yourself, you know, on the day having breakfast, you know, so you're fueled up. (laughs) for the two hours and then maybe if you've got a long journey as well in advance and on the way back home you're you're you've got enough energy to sustain you through that um being clear on sort of admin things like checking on emails from your exam center and clear on your check you're clear on the procedures and that you've been entered for the right subject and everything else well in advance um that you're you've been entered for the right syllabus and the right board and the right course code and everything and on the day itself check the paper um, because it has been known to happen that people have been given the wrong paper. Um, so don't just sort of trust in the system. Um, make sure that you're check you're checking that and be aware and you know encourage your child to to put their hand up and not feel intimidated, as hard as it is, um, about asking um if they're unsure about anything. We had a personal experience of that yesterday where oh, I had printed off an exam paper for my daughter for history. I printed off uh, her source paper and the the exam paper. And then I, I had to go and go and work and I set her off doing this exam paper. I came back an hour later and she was in tears at the dining table. And I said, well, you know, what what's going on? What's what's happened? And she said, doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense. And, uh, and she said, they're asking me about the Berlin Wall and I haven't studied the Berlin Wall. And I had printed off the source paper for conflict and tension in 
Asia, and I'd printed off the exam paper for conflict and tension in the East and West, which are annoyingly similarly worded. And so she was doing the sources for one paper and the exam paper for another. And of course, none of it, none of it matched up. And, and after we had got over our initial hiccup and I had apologized profusely for making that admin mistake, um, I did say what an amazing preparation that is so that if you get into an exam especially with with things like history where there's so many permutations and they're all very similarly worded if you find yourself looking at a paper thinking this doesn't make any sense or why am I answering a question on the Berlin Wall when I'm actually doing the Korean War for example you're able to sort of uh, to to do to have that bit in your brain that goes let me just check the front of the paper like again and just make sure they're matching up yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And similarly, I was thinking of, as you were saying that, for psychology, for instance, which um, my youngest daughter is planning on doing as one of her next couple of GCSEs, there are options. So as you say, similar for history, there are four different topics, I think it is, in the, on paper two, and you only have to do two of the, of the I think it's actually five, um, and you have to choose two. So there'll be questions on topics you haven't covered. So being aware of, no, of that and knowing that you're not thrown. And there are some students who attempt questions which then, you know, they're not actually supposed to, because you only need to answer two. You'll look, every year you'll find some students who've answered three or something, you know, they've answered questions which they're not actually supposed to be answering because um, that's not the options they've chosen. So being aware of that and knowing what the papers look like and familiarize, and then hopefully if you've done lots of past paper practice, you'll be, you know, well, you know, familiar with that. Um, and things like knowing how many papers and how much being clear on how much time is allowed and what the waiting is, if there's an insert or if it's just one booklet, um, how many questions you need to answer and you've selected the right answers, the right number, the right, uh, you're answering the right number of questions rather from the relevant sections. Um, be confident and know that if something doesn't seem right, you ha- you should be able, you know, encourage them, your young people to sort of put their hand up because mistakes can happen. Um, also things like um, simple practical things like the rules around things like no watches, like they have a no watches rule now. So you're not allowed to take even in, you're not allowed to take analog watches in at all, even now, um, because, um, uh, because of smartwatches, obviously they've, they, you know, that's posing a, a risk of uh, cheating. So to to cover that, to kind of d- address that, they've just put a complete blanket ban on watches of any kind, which is annoying. Um, but things, but following on from that, making sure that you can see the clock from where you're sitting is important. Because if that's your only way of gauging what time it is and how much time you have left, you know, make sure that from where you're sitting, you can see it clearly. Um, things like water taking and water with no labels on, you know, just a clear plastic bottle or a flask um, that's transparent. Um, And so being aware of those rules. I think as well, having an understanding of what the exam, uh, what the exam feeling is, is going to be like, what the exam environment is going to be like. For example, I remember when my son sat one of his first exams, he was, he was uh, surprised to find that people were coming and going you yeah. know the students were join, joining a bit late or the students would leave early and yeah. and quite often there'll be students leaving after an hour after an hour and a half after two hours and if you're sitting a two and a half hour paper you're going to have a lot of students leaving and yeah. and then you've got people with extra time who you'll be leaving and they'll still be staying and it's just that understanding that people will be in the room who aren't sitting your exam paper they're yeah. sitting a different exam paper with different timings 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, being conscious of that is important and knowing that and being prepared for that is important because uh, one one subject, my when my oldest daughter sat classical civilizations, uh, she was, she was uh, I think there were just a handful of them sitting it, but there were lots of other students sitting exams and it was a gym hall environment. So they, they had different timings on the board for each of the subjects. So you need to know which one is your time. And so one of my uh, daughter's friends who was also sitting the paper actually miscalculated calculated and thought she had an extra 15 minutes when you know and then they you know they give you a warning five minutes left and and she was caught out by that because she she hadn't uh looked at the right timing on on the board and so things like that knowing that there will be as you say people coming in and out and starting and finishing at different times um and listening out for time checks and keeping an eye on the clock you know and you know checking you're on track with that i think also um being prepared for challenges that might happen as well. I know for with my son's English language paper, which was his weakest subject and the one he was most worried about, he had an upset tummy that morning. He oh. had to stop and go to the toilet twice. Then the clock stopped working. And there were numerous things that happened during the paper. And I think sometimes it can be kind of helpful just to give them almost strategies to help them when that happens. You know, okay, deep breaths, calm down, refocus, take a minute, you know, those kind of things can also be helpful because there will be things that that come up that you just can't prepare for. Yeah, Mm -hmm. unforeseen circumstances and things that happen which are out of your control, but focusing on how you uh, deal with that and how you cope with that is the thing because obviously you can't control that external environment that you're in, but what you can do is focus on how you respond to those challenges and those difficulties if they arise. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's really good advice. So, uh, you know, um, just generally, I think thinking about that um, in terms of focusing on your health and well-being in more general terms is really important as well. So, you know, much as this this is all focused, we've talked talked a lot about um, you know focusing on exam revision and so on. But and there are lots of practical things you can do to help yourself through that process. Um, Equally, it's important to remind ourselves that exams aren't the be all and end all um, and that there is life beyond exams. And, you know, one day these exams will be a distant memory. Um, So it's a stepping stone for many students. And um, believe it or not, some students I've had students. I had a student last year who really struggled with English and he really just needed to get the tick box to get onto his apprenticeship scheme. Um, And he actually his mum told me that he came out of the exam saying he enjoyed it. And for me, that was just fantastic, you know, that he enjoyed it and he did he did he did well enough to get onto his apprenticeship, which was all he needed. Um, but the, the, I mean, I think we can think about it in terms of like positively trying to, um, you know, see what we can get out of the process in a positive way rather than just sort of seeing it as all negative. I mean, maybe we can try to some extent to enjoy the process as much as possible. What I've always said with my children is the subjects that they really enjoy I've always said, you know, this is this is your chance to showcase your knowledge and really enjoy it and have fun with it. And then the subjects that they don't enjoy, I tend to emphasize this the last time you'll ever have to do this. You know, you'll never have to write about physics again or whatever it is. And I think I think you're right. I think making it a positive thing. I always try to make it as low key as possible on the day. So they're not, they don't get stressed. And I try to make, you know, like you said about making sure you get there early, you know, your route plan, you know, planning everything so that you're as relaxed as possible, meaning they can be as relaxed as possible. For sure. I think if you don't feel like you're in control of the situation, it just adds to the anxiety, doesn't it? And the stress 
Neville saw. Um, so if you can build in time for yourself to have a relaxed kind of, um, you know, start to the day, um, having taking that bit of time for, to eat well, to to to, to you know, eat, eat, generally looking after your health and nutrition, um, drinking water, resting when you need to. Um, you mentioned breathing techniques, um, all those sorts of things in the run up to the exam, um, and that period of intense sort of stress for a lot of people it is an intensely stressful experience. But um, you know, understanding that it's not the be all and end all, and trying to focus on the positive. And you know, as you say, for some for some subjects, if you enjoy it, it's your chance to show off. It's your chance to show off to the examiner and say, look, I know this stuff, and I'm you know I'm proud of what I've done. And whatever, wh however things turn out, knowing that you've given it your best, you know, that you you can be proud of yourself for that. And that's something that's valuable in and of itself um and uh, sort of thinking in general in terms about um sort of knowing when to switch off is really important as well like knowing when to take breaks and that in itself helps to build and maintain motivation as well i think rather than sort of focusing thinking like you need to be on this like 24 7 you know like your mind is constantly on exam and i think that can be energy depleting over time and erode your motivation um so knowing when it's un un healthy to take those breaks and um, taking exercise and being in fresh air and nature um that sort of it's a healthy approach i think to to the whole business of taking exams is very important um and yeah so really that's about all i had to cover i just wanted to kind of do a recap um in terms of what we've covered so just as a kind of uh checklist I suppose of bullet points of things that you can sort of take away the key takeaways if you like from what we've discussed today so uh, number one reading the specification and the syllabus and it's quite often the case that there's schemes of work which I didn't mention earlier on schemes of work which are available on websites which can be helpful as a kind of overview of the whole course content um, the learner guides and sample candidate response booklets as well that are available online so the collections of Pass, uh, students answers to different exam questions which can be really helpful as a guide um, using those past paper resources which are a lot of them are available on uh, board websites and file sharing websites um, completing lots of past papers which helps to build confidence and hone your knowledge and your exam technique and um, yeah identify those weak areas and really you know tackle them confront them don't sort of avoid them or try to dodge them just go for it and just address it head on um using those mark schemes uh is a really invaluable resource to help you grade papers and hone in on um things that need work um uh thinking about your exam strategy and your time management so how you approach the questions and what order and so on checking the mark allocation and the weighting thinking about the time you devote um, to those low-hanging fruit questions which carry one mark each versus the higher scoring questions and how you plan those longer responses. Um, we talked also about the importance of decoding exam questions and understanding command words and matching your response to what the examiners are looking for. And helpful to that is reading those examiner reports as well as the mark schemes to identify those pitfalls uh, the do's and don'ts as I as I look at it and typical kind of mistakes or errors that students make and therefore how to avoid them yourself. Um, and also just uh, 
finally to say be aware of how the grade boundaries are not consistent across all subjects and all boards they will vary so check um your particular specification so that you know um you know what you're aiming for and what you need to get and that can build a lot of confidence as well because um i a family friend of ours um the daughter who was doing chemistry she was a perfectionist and she was she was doing she thought she wasn't doing very well on the chemistry past papers that she looked at before she looked at the boundaries then she realized she was scoring consistently top grades but because she hadn't realized that she'd assumed it was higher than it actually was the grade boundary for the top grades so being aware of that can be very helpful and that sort of brings me uh to the end of like kind of wraps up what i was going to cover with you and i think you covered quite a lot of ground but hopefully it's really helpful i hope it's helpful to to um families out there because this is a lot of this is based on what i my insights our insights that we've sort of developed as a family through experience over many years um and you know i think it's so important to share those insights because it can help um others avoid certain you know kind of mistakes or certain kind of ways of thinking which might be less than helpful um uh, or certainly identify more positive positive things well approaches that worked for us and positive things that we felt were helpful in the process yeah and I think when you home educate sometimes you can feel a little bit isolated when you're approaching exams because you don't have that teacher input and maybe your child is self-studying and I think as much as we can share this kind of experience and this kind of information with each other it just empowers us doesn't it it does doesn't it so it's definitely that's the key word empowerment because i think a lot of it is is down to us doubting our own ability um students doubting their own ability and as parents as home educating parents in particular doubting our own ability to facilitate our young people's journeys and um uh, allowing them to access opportunities so much of it is especially because you know quite often we might face challenges in our environments you know from people who are doubters about that so we feel that pressure all the more but um knowing it can be done is hugely reassuring i think and knowing that a lot of people it's a well-trodden path and um and you know it's not as daunting i think if there was one piece of advice i'd give to my younger self before we started the exam process is not to worry so much about it um and uh, you know just uh yeah it, it can be done and to focus on the process and how to achieve the outcomes you're looking for is, is really important and quite, as you say, empowering then. Well, thank you so much, Iram. And Iram, you run a couple of very helpful Facebook groups as well, don't you? So do tell our listeners uh, wh where they can find you on Facebook as a tutor, but also the Facebook groups that you run for home educators. Yeah, so I run two Facebook groups for home educating families. The first one was really born out of a desire to share our experiences about the exams journey. So um, that's a Facebook group um, called Home Education Exams Information and Advice. And all home educating families are welcome to join. And in that group, I've shared a webinars, recordings of webinars that I've held about the exam process, shared our experiences, um, addressed uh, sort of FAQs, if you like, a lot of commonly asked questions. Um, and just, you know, the purpose of it really was initially, it was just uh, myself and I roped in a couple of home ed families, home ed moms that I know had known for a long time to talk about our experiences because there is a wealth of information out there, but sometimes navigating that can be uh, daunting in itself and overwhelming. 
Um, and it's not the same as actually talking to somebody or listening to somebody talk about their experiences, which is, I, well, you know, it's grown uh, to about 1500 people now. It started off with just me holding this webinar and then I recorded it and shared that in the group. And then off the back of that, I've covered other topics um, relating to studying English and um, uh, all different aspects of exams and I hold um, webinars there from time to time um, just so people have the opportunity to ask me questions and then I also run um, an English IGCSE um, support group and advice group which is focused particularly on the Cambridge IGCSE specification which is the one I teach and have um, a really thorough knowledge of so um, I do sort of exam tips there, um, webinars, um, information and advice about all the courses I run, including the uh, I do an exam preparation course and various courses at IGCSE and an interactive video course for students um, studying the syllabus and they can study that independently or with tutor marked assignments. So all the information there is um, on my Facebook group and um, everybody's welcome to join. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I know that you helped me very much when my daughter was doing the Cambridge English language exam. And I find your your Facebook exam group uh, so friendly and welcoming. And, you know, no matter what the question asked, there's always yourself and other members that pop up with really helpful answers. It's not the case. Sometimes you're on Facebook groups and the same question gets asked a lot and you tend to get pretty you don't realize that and you tend to get quite short answers but with your uh facebook group it's always a, a, a very loving response i think which is a uh, really nice in the home ed world so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today it's your third time with us i feel like it's a hat trick right you should get something do i get a prize <laughs> you should get a t-shirt or something oh, no, it's, it's lovely to chat to you as ever and um yeah i just hope that this podcast um is is able to help people and support them through that process when which I think can be, you know, daunting for a lot of people. But yeah, have faith and, and be reassured and empowered um, to 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 go for it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Iram. It's lovely having you on the show today. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day. Bye.